Welcome to another new episode of the 3-Bid League Podcast. As always, I am your host, Tyler. And today, we're going to talk about both the NIT and the NCAA tournament with Coach Sidney Johnson, the former head coach of Princeton and Fairfield, now working for the USA Network as an A-10 analyst, and most importantly for this Princeton discussion, the host of the Ivy League Hoops Hour podcast. Coach, thanks for joining me. And am I forgetting anything on your long resume? No, no, it's, uh, yeah, just uh, we'll move on. The only thing, I, I co-host the show with my buddy Lawrence Schuler, uh, who worked with me at Princeton and is a Princeton alum. And uh, we have loved getting in the podcast space. But Tyler, I, you know, I'm a big fan of yours. Reached out to you earlier in the season. Love what you do with uh, your coverage on the A-10 and have thoroughly enjoyed that. So it's a, it's a treat for me to uh, join you and uh, try to talk some college basketball as we head into the best tournament in the world, and then a, not a bad secondary tournament in terms of the NIT. Yeah, and Coach, I, I really appreciate that. I, it's great to hear that someone that I have such respect for, for what you've done in the world of college basketball, enjoys our show so much. But we'll, we'll go on into the NIT and now, you never coached in the NIT, but you did have an appearance in the CBI and multiple trips to the CIT along with an NCAA tournament berth. So when you're playing in these uh, people, I guess they are lesser tournaments technically when you look at them versus the NCAA tournament, but to many schools, they're still very important. So the mindset of a coach going into something like the NIT where the big trophy's not on the line are you still going to coach your normal game? You're just going out with the best game plan you have, or is there a little bit of an element of, oh, maybe I'll try something different, different playbook, try some younger players, see how they perform, and not only try to win, but maybe set the stage a little bit for next season? Well, it shows how experienced you are to even ask the question, because you're right, there's a lot of there's a lot of dynamics with these tournaments. And, and one, I would say in the times that we competed, I, I played in the CBI or coached in CBI at Princeton. And then I coached in the CIT three times at Fairfield. Those were, those were tournaments that we were excited to play in because at Princeton, we had been coming off a couple of rough seasons and we're trying to get it back up and going. And at Fairfield, we still haven't gotten to the NCAA tournament since like the late 80s. So any kind of postseason play was like an honor. So just in terms of that mentality, we we're in a pretty good space. That's not necessarily the case for everyone. So that's one. Two, when you're in a good space and you're like, yes, more games. And you, I think, well, I know we approached it like, let's try to win as many games as we can. So we were, we were kind of staying with what was working for us. And then, um, and, and again, just trying to advance. I do think um, there might have been a kid here or there that we were trying to get a few more minutes for. So you might open up your rotation a, a little bit. But that was the approach, Tyler, that we took was to kind of stick with what's working and try to advance. And since we're going to play in this thing, try to win it. At least uh, that's what we uh, try to embrace. At Fairfield, we got all the way, I think, to the, the semis in the CIT. And at um, 
at, at Princeton uh, in that CBI run, which was fantastic. We had a ball. I think we got to the, the quarters or the semis. Yeah, and VCU and Princeton, they're kind of in a middleman space right now in terms of postseason success. Obviously, they're not the type of blue bloods that would be just out and out disappointed to make the NIT, but they're both very good programs that do tend to make the NCAA at least once every few years. So it is an interesting spot for both of them. But diving into the Tigers here, they won the Ivy League regular season. That's what got them this auto bid into the NIT. Although as a six seed, they might have been able to sneak in without that. They lost yesterday to Yale in the Ivy League title game, the two seed. So going into this game, they, they're led by the Ivy League player of the year, Tosan Awobum. I'm going to keep butchering this. Um, what does he bring to the table? What do VCU fans need to be afraid of with him? Because on your last pod, uh, one of your terrific guests simply described him as, quote unquote, a monster. Yeah, Tosan Awoma, and it's not, it doesn't roll off the tongue, so don't feel bad, Tyler, at all. Um, but uh, as, as you mentioned uh, before we got started, that's a name that people uh, certainly are going to get used to if they're following Ivy League basketball. He was unanimous player of the year, uh, 6'8", 217. They played him as a center. And uh, I mean this sincerely without any qualification. He is like Giannis Antetokounmpo from the fact that he's unguardable. He's obviously not the best player in the world like Giannis, but he's unguardable, at least in the Ivy League, because people tried to double team him, Tyler, didn't work. They tried to slough off of him. He would just drive it and tack the basket. That didn't work. They tried to have different schemes, double teaming him from different angles. Nothing worked, and he was a unanimous pick. So all of the coaches felt like he was the best player in the league. Uh, he was fourth in scoring, sixth in rebounding, fifth in steals, second in field goal percentage, and at 6'8", 217, he led the league in assists. So not only was he really good individually, but he, uh, he got a lot of shots for his teammates. So he's a revelation. He's only a junior. And I actually think it's going to be – I'm really excited to see him play against VCU because I love what Rhodes has done with his players. I know how athletic they are. Vince Williams is personally my favorite player in the A-10, and I'm really interested to see how those two match up. Yeah, and it's a very, very interesting matchup for, for a Wobum. I think I got it there um, in this VCU game because as great as VCU's defense is, it pulls its strength from being able to harass opposing guards. And we've seen this year, as good as their centers are defensively, Ward, DeLoach, and Brown Jones are all a little bit on the skinnier end. And so very strong centers can push them around. And so that's going to be a challenge for them. And this is definitely a game where we're, I think we're going to end up seeing Levi Stockard a fair amount because he is VCU's big strong volley down low. Yeah, that 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 would be an interesting look because you're right. And Stockard, um, if I'm not mistaken, he he didn't quite play as much down the stretch. I thought he had a, a terrific start to the season, um, but the younger guys uh, seem to kind of uh, you know beat him out for some minutes. But that would be an interesting look uh, to see if if Rhodes goes with some strength and, and size and girth against Tosan, but. He is, Tyler, a handful um, that they'll throw the ball to him at the top of the key, Princeton will, and let him isolate. And then they put um, – and here's something I want to add. 
they have Tigers have four uh, perimeter players who have made 63s or more and they're shooting 39% or better four different dudes. So that's what they put around Tosan. So people are reluctant to double team. So he's going to probably isolate Stockard. You may want to have some of those more athletic centers guarding him, but that's uh, what Coach Rose, he knows his team better than uh, anybody. We'll see how that works out. Right. So elsewhere on the team, you mentioned that they love to line the court with shooters. And when you look at Princeton's efficiency metrics, that's what really makes this team special. They've actually finished 33rd in Ken Palm in offensive efficiency this season, largely due to the fact that they were top 15 in the country in both three-point percentage and two-point percentage and were the 10th best in not turning the ball over. So what is it about the Tigers and their coach Mitch Henderson that makes them such an efficient team? Great question. I played with Mitch, so I'm a 97 graduate. Uh, Mitch and I played together. He's a 98 graduate. Even way back when we were playing together under Pete Carrill, Bill Carmody, Joe Scott, John Thompson III, Armand Hill coaches for a bit, as well as Howie Levy. These are great Princeton coaches back in the day, assistant coaches and head coach. They talked about making shots. That was like the mantra, Tyler, like make shots, make shots. So they've always recruited going back to then. And then obviously all the way up to modern day, they've recruited guys who simply just put the ball in the basket. You're not going to find a better team in the country. They're actually to add to the metrics. They're fifth in the nation in effective field goal percentage. So um, they're going to make shots, put it in the basket. They don't get to the free throw line a ton, but if VCU overextends themselves, um, the Tigers could make them pay from the perimeter and also at the rim uh, behind Tosun's effective, uh, his efficiency at the rim. Yeah, and outside of Tosun, five of their other top six minute guys are all shooting better than 39% from three. So it, it seems to me like we got a chance for a great clash on the perimeter. VCU's guards trying to harass these guys trying to push them off of the three-point line. Who do you think can win that clash? Because like I mentioned, Princeton basically does not turn the ball over. Is VCU going to be able to rattle these guys? I'm not so sure, to be honest. And I said four guys, but you're right. It's five guys from the perimeter for Princeton. I, I actually, um, I hope I don't lose your audience here, but I actually think Princeton can win this basketball game. I um, do too, so. They have the guard play in Llewellyn and Wright, who are outstanding. Llewellyn was a first-team all-Ivy guy and can play a lot of places in, in the country. And Ethan Wright was second team, and he can play a lot of places in the country. I'm not so sure that uh, VCU will get them completely out of what they do because of these senior guards. And then once they get in the half court, uh, Princeton usually carves up a lot of good teams. The, the Achilles heel for the Tigers is their free throw. They don't get to the free throw line a lot. Um, and, and that's one thing that VCU does. They foul a decent amount and put people on the line. But then the Tigers don't make a lot of their free throws. Their best player is shooting 57% in terms of Woma. And then they don't, they have a, an average defensive team. Um, at their best, they're, they're, you know, above average, but they've normally been uh, middle of the table. So, but I still think offense just might beat out uh, a really, really good defense. And that's kind of been the story for VCU for a bit is like these, 
really, really good offensive teams like a Davidson, it kind of has the answer for everything that VCU throws at them. Yeah, and in terms of the foul shooting, 64.8%, that's good for 11th worst in all of college basketball. Mm. And so a little bit of an Ivy League as a whole tie-in here because some news came across the wire this morning that Drew Freiberg, who is one of the starters, one of those great shooters for Princeton, had entered the transfer portal as a grad transfer. But Ivy League players, or is this just Harvard's role, do not play grad years in the conference, correct? Actually, all Ivy players, you're right, Tyler. All Ivy League players don't have a grad year. And there was a one-year exception this season due to COVID from last year. So the Ivy League had uh, a small handful of fifth-year seniors playing this season for the first time in the history of the league. And they only did it for this year. They will not allow that moving forward. So a guy like Drew Freiberg, has an extra year, uh, and it looks like he's going to use it elsewhere. And so I would presume that that means that he is not exiting now. He is simply just saying, hey, coaches, I'm going to be available once once this season wraps up. Yeah, yeah, unfortunate in my humble opinion. You know, I would have liked him to, you know, do it like as soon as the last game's over, you know, kind of deal. Um, But, yeah, I would assume I have no other reports that he's not going to compete with the Tigers and he's just kind of getting a – a jump on letting people know uh, that he's available. Yeah, and as we speak, given that this is now the day after Selection Sunday, the transfer portal has exploded over the last few hours. This is kind of the big day for guys to put their names in, so it's not surprising. But we'll take it back to, to this Princeton-VCU game. You said you believe Princeton can win. I, I very much do, too. The NIT, we see so many upsets, too, especially in a game like this where – you have a higher conference team like VCU. Maybe motivation isn't quite there. I don't think that's going to be the case for the Rams, given that because of last year getting COVID right before the NCAA tournament, the cancellation in 2020, most of these guys have never played in any postseason games. But the NIT, you catch a lot of these teams that were great all regular season long, like Princeton was. They play one bad game, and the next thing you know, you're – you're on the road in the number two tournament and those guys could be motivated, but give us, give us a prediction as someone who follows Princeton. I, from the way I listen to your show, seems like you have seen every second of the Tigers this season and you also follow VCU a fair amount too. So what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. As I tip my hat, you know, earlier, I do think Princeton has the ability to just simply you know, put more points on the board than VCU. I mean, it's just, just that plain. Um, again, the Tigers' defense is is average, slightly above average at its best. But VCU's offense, despite Ace Baldwin, who's actually shooting has good shooting numbers and has been efficient offensively, it's it's not a it's not the offensive juggernaut that Princeton is. So I, I actually give the Tigers uh, the edge. Um, you might find this shocking. I've been rooting for VCU all year because I just love the way they play. And again, I'm a big Vince Williams fan. I actually would love to see them make a run, you know, and just kind of uh, feel good about themselves to end the season. But um, I, I, I want to give the edge to the Tigers. And that's why it's actually, I think it's going to be a really good game because both teams have something to play for it. I think Princeton's probably pretty disappointed that they weren't able to get through the NCAA 
VCU is probably feeling the same. So let's take it out on an opponent. And I, that's why I'm hoping this game will be really competitive. Yeah, and let's wrap up this game with one last question. So you give Princeton the slight edge. Let's say that VCU, Mike Rhodes sits down. I know uh, there was a report from the great Wayne Epps Jr. this morning that the VCU coaches went to bed about 2 in the morning and were right back up at 8 to rip into Princeton film. So they certainly care about this game. And let's say that they can find a way to really slow down Tosan. Can Princeton still win in that scenario? That's a good question. Um, I don't think – I'm going to go the other way. I don't know if they can slow down Tosan. I mean, I, it sounds great. I think he's a pro. Um, I don't know if they can slow down Princeton. But the key is not not slowing down Tosan. It's slowing down the other guys. They Two times this season, Princeton has scored 64 points. That's their low on the year. They average close to 80 in league play. And how you do that, getting them down to 64 instead of 80, is guarding those shooters. I do think that VCU has the athleticism. You know, will they have the discipline? Will they not get overextended? So I would, I would encourage them to focus on wiping out those shooters and making them take tough twos. Tosan's likely going to get what he gets, and that might be the recipe. But, um, Tyler, that's why I'm, I'm sitting here having fun talking to you, and I'm not the head coach myself. That'll be up to Rhodes and, and his staff to figure out. Yeah, and we'll see if VCU can get those shooters off the line in this game. But we're going to take it up to the NCAA tournament here. And I want to ask you first about Davidson. They play Michigan State in the first round. And then what could be a potentially very fascinating in-state rivalry game, although the two teams never get to play each other, they could have a chance to beat Coach K in his final tournament in the second round. What have you seen from Davidson this year? Do you believe that they have the capability to get through those two games and make the Sweet 16? Well, first help me out, Tyler. Didn't Foster Lawyer come over from Michigan State? He did, and I am so happy that this game is happening <laughs> because as someone who watched very little of his time with the Spartans but has seen most of his games at Davidson, I don't understand how Michigan State would let him go. So <laughs> I'm going to be very fascinated if he, if he takes that out on the Spartans. Exactly. So with that, the drama starts, I think, in that game. Um, and, and I started there because I think um, my humble, humble opinion, you've seen a lot more A-10 than me. Foster Lawyer, I thought was a first teamer. Um, I completely agree. Okay. All right, cool. So I, I, I just think he, um, he's special and kind of surprised he didn't make that big shot against Richmond, that, that last three. But, you know, he's human. Um, they will probably want to let the nation know how good they are and seriously approach that game against Michigan State. Uh, we know that Izzo is going to have them uh, well prepared and, and thinking about locking in defensively. But I think Davidson's offense is that good. And I think they're a juggernaut of their own. Uh, Brykovich and Lee and Jones, how good has he been? Uh, th there's a whole lot of offense there and a lot of movement. And the thing that that is key for them is they don't necessarily attack you necessarily with the ball. It's all the stuff off the ball. And I think that that's challenging for a lot of teams to deal with. I would love to see uh, a matchup between um, Davidson and, and, and uh, Duke. Um, what an unbelievable showcase that would be for the A-10. And frankly, as, as awesome as Duke is and has been, 
defensively, they're, they're a little weaker than they have been in years past. And so, again, you have a Davidson team that could maybe take advantage of that. So that would be a game that I – there's no way in the world I would miss that game. Um, and it'd be, a, like I said, it'd be great for the A-10, which is a much better league than I think, um, you know, maybe people outside of your listeners, uh, you know, really appreciate. Yeah, and – I personally think that Davidson, Michigan State is going to be one of the best games of the first round. And I believe Vegas agrees, if I'm correct, that is currently the second closest spread of any of these matchups. Wow. So they're expecting a very, very good game as well. The other team in the NCAA tournament for the A-10, the Richmond Spiders, they just went through and really made what I felt was a magical run Mm -hmm. to the A-10 title. And you were in the studio for USA Network for the early part of the tournament. We talked about we talked about the Spiders winning this with Noah Goldberg on the show yesterday. But what was your biggest takeaway from Richmond's great weekend? I was stunned, to be honest. Uh, I know Chris Mooney. I'm not sure if I've shared with you, Tyler, that he was the senior year captain for my uh, Princeton team when I was a freshman, known him for years, and obviously we're, we're friends. And, you know, I, I know the – the heat and the pressure that he's been on as they've had, you know, these really good teams that just haven't quite been able to get over the hump. That's the reality of it. We never talked about that, but that's just the reality. And then, so they know going into this tournament, it's, it's NCAA or bust with a golden error of players to see Gilliard play at such a high level when Burton's kind of been the guy, Grant Golden, has played well, but it's kind of been, you know, third best guy for a lot of the season. And Gilliard, the smallest guy on the court, uh, but not only defensively, offensively, he played at a whole nother level for this run. And it just all kind of came together. And then enough Gustafson making key plays. Obviously, Grace made the play, the basket of the season for the Spiders. So, You said it. It just seemed like everything fell into place and they just had almost like a, I know the pressure was on, but almost like no one was really betting on them. I picked, uh, who did I pick? I picked Dayton. And then as a dark horse, Bonnie's. I don't think a lot of people picked Richmond to do what they do. So they were able to kind of float under the radar and all of a sudden we pick up our head and they're coming back from five down late in the game to beat Davidson and punch their ticket. Um, you know, what a, what a way to end the season or, or what a way to go into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and you are completely right. Nobody was picking Richmond. The shows that I was on, the stuff I listened to, it was basically people oscillating between the one group of, oh, Richmond's going to get crushed by VCU. They have no chance of winning that game. And then the other group of, oh, well, if this, this, and this go right, they can beat VCU, and then maybe they get enough magic to beat Dayton. But even then, I don't think anyone was willing to put their name to a Richmond to win the tournament prediction. Yeah, yeah. And now they go into a tough game against Iowa, and honestly, at this point, I think that whatever the Spiders can accomplish is now gravy. They have made the NCAA tournament, and these guys are certainly going to be fired up for that for that game, but not quite the same life or death to their careers as they had in the last week. Yeah, they'll be feeling, they'll be feeling good and we'll be able to kind of soak up the moment. Um, I also, again, they'll probably won't be picked by anybody. 
Uh, Iowa obviously looked pretty good the other day, um, just yesterday, winning the, uh, the Big Ten Championship. Um, there's some physicality that might, um, you know, challenge Richmond. So we'll see how that goes. But they're, they're playing with house money at this point. Yep. And we'll close things out here because people, no matter what conference they are, care about every game of the NCAA tournament. So it would be great if you could help give our fans a little bit of an insight into Yale's battle with Purdue. What is the biggest thing that Yale will have to do to win that game? They're, they're going to be, they're going to be up against it. Yale for our listeners to appreciate um, Yale has been a, an outstanding team for the last 10 years. Uh, maybe a little bit more as James Jones. He's been at Yale for uh, I think over 20 years, but he's really taken the program to another level and they've won three of the last five Ivy league championships going into the NCAA tournament. But this year, he hasn't had the front court that he's had. Um, the kid, Paul Atkinson at Notre Dame, he was actually at Yale as a front court player, just killing the Ivy League. So that's the caliber of front court forward that James has had. He doesn't have that this year, and they're a little bit more perimeter oriented. So what I would say to get back to your question is Yale's going to have to figure out a, a bit of a way to neutralize the, the impact of the big guys for Purdue. And I just physically don't see that happening. Those guys are huge. They play hard. Matt Painter is one of the outstanding coaches in the country. Um, and so rebounding is something that Yale has always hung their hat on, rebounding and defense. I think they're going to get out-rebounded. I think they may get pushed around a bit. I certainly think it'll be a game because there's some winning DNA with the, with the Bulldogs. They're used to winning championships. They won't be worried about the bright lights of the NCAA. But I think the physical size and nature of the Boilermakers, um, I, I, I don't know what the spread is. I'm not a big spread guy, but I, I, would, it's say, sizable. I would say 15 points. I mean, I, I, think, I think Purdue is, is, is that dominant physically to be able to handle Yale. It is 15 and a half. Wow. So wow, you were crazy. right there on it. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> and, and I'm so glad you mentioned James Jones. He's been at Yale since 1999, won 352 games there. Uh, someone that you both coached against for years and now obviously cover on your podcast. And with two very close jobs being open in the A-10, UMass and Rhode Island, his name's been thrown around in some sort of speculation there. And Personally, I believe he would be an unbelievable get for either of those programs. But without any inside information, do you, is this a guy that you think would be willing to leave Yale for a job like that? Or is, is he just kind of there to stay? No, I, I, I do. I, I think that, um, you know, I do know him and, and there's some, you know, probably some stuff I, I can't share. But I, I would say that he definitely is somebody who believes in – how good of a coach he is and that he can coach at Yale, but some other places. And I think there are some jobs that he was probably really well suited for Tyler. And for some reason, people think because he hasn't offered scholarships that somehow that that would be uh, a hurdle. What, what James will tell you and a whole lot of good Ivy league coaches um, will tell you it's actually harder to recruit when you don't have scholarships. So the fact that you can put a team together that's good year in and year out without scholarships, that should show you what you could do with scholarships. And so I think some of these teams, I'm not his agent, 
Um, but I think some of these programs um, need to look at that uh, because he certainly has proven himself um, and then some. Yeah, been to the NCAA tournament now three of the last five years that the Ivy League participated. So that basically speaks for itself. Yeah, I mean, what, what more, you know, I, I think the success that he has had, and now I, I do want to say this, um, I think it's really important that people understand that he went a good 11, 12 years between, he, he won the Ivy League his second year on the job, and then went a good 11, 12 years before winning another championship. So Yale has stuck with him. And I'm sure that's not lost on James. It would have to be a compelling job and a, and a, a better job, frankly, than what he has now, because they've been loyal to him. But it also shows you that when you are loyal, he has grown into the, that job and he has proven uh, Yale to be wise, to stick with him. So any other job would have to make that same commitment or else why not stay at Yale and, and continue to do what I, what I do well. Uh, somebody's got to come along and, and tell me, hey, they're going to be really supportive of me. They're going to appreciate how I do things and they're going to give me time. And, uh, and then they might have a new basketball coach. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. You know, so we will see if one of these Northeast schools can manage to make that happen. He would be a very interesting hire in my mind. But, Coach, as we mentioned at the top, you were the host of the Ivy League Hoops Hour podcast with your co-host Lawrence Schuler, and I have to say a, a very great group of guests that you've been rotating in and out throughout the season. Anywhere else that people can find your great thoughts? Oh, that's, that's really kind of you. I mean, we, we have a YouTube channel where we post it. Uh, put the, make sure the show is available and obviously anywhere else you, you want to find your uh, podcast content. And then I'm, I'm usually tweeting some stuff here or there to tease on the show. Um, this, this week, we're just going to do a, a recap of the Ivy League championship and uh, look ahead uh, towards the NCAA tournament. Um, but yeah, we want casual basketball fans. We want Ivy League hard-nosed folks. Um, we're just trying to tell these stories and, and shine a light on these student athletes and, and coaches. So I'm, I'm grateful to be on this show and, and give the Ivy League a platform and also knowing that I love the A-10 and college basketball in general. And so um, it's all good as far as I'm concerned just to uh, watch all these players compete and get up and down and, and have some fun, especially this time of year. Yeah, and I knew just about nothing about these specific Ivy League teams until I stumbled upon your pod a few weeks ago and it's the most unique conference in college basketball. So it's definitely worth a listen to your show, but coach, thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's been a, 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 a tremendous joy for me, Tyler. And uh, like I said, big fan of yours. So keep doing what you're doing. You know, I'm always listening and uh, thanks for having me on. Much appreciated coach. All right. And thank you all for listening to another episode of the three bid league podcast. If you haven't already, go back and listen to my quick little episode with Noah Goldberg from yesterday. We recapped Richmond's big tournament win. Hop on to Busting Brackets. I did three takeaways of Davidson's win over St. Louis. Most of those were looking ahead to the NCAA tournament, so the whole article still holds relevance today. And come back to this feed later in the week. We're going to have some very special guests on as we preview the Iowa-Richmond and Michigan State Davidson games. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us five stars on iTunes. Send us some comments if you have anything that you feel like we've done really well or anything we could be doing better. 
Those are all much appreciated. Everyone enjoy it. It's tournament week. The basketball still rolling strong.